Amen. Tonight in 2 Samuel chapter number 6, we're going to go into a kind of familiar passage. Um, this is about David, and whenever David was bringing the ark of God back into the city of God, it's a, it's a powerful passage, and one of the things that I want to point out in this is in a time that was glorious, you couldn't get much more glorious than the time that they experienced. Not everybody experienced the glory. And sometimes in our lives, there may be people around you that experience the glory of God, the presence of God, the power of God, and you may not. And sometimes, you know, I've been in church services where, um, you know, half the church is crying and half the church is sleeping. Um, what's the difference? Amen. Some are experiencing God's presence, some are experiencing God's power, and some are not. And each one of us has a duty to give God our heart, amen? To give God our heart, to think along his lines. You know, it, 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 if, if you allow the enemy to get into your mind, you allow the enemy to get into your thoughts, you'll start wondering, you know, why is that picture crooked? Or why is that carpet that color? Has that stain always been there? Why is they why are they wearing that shirt with that, you know, pants? If you allow the enemy to get into your mind, your mind will think about things that don't matter. And I know nobody goes to church to think about those kinds of things. However, anytime the word of God is opened, the enemy's on the prowl. Mark chapter 4. It says there's four types of soil, but the very first one is, is whenever the word of God is sown, but the enemy comes immediately to take it. And Jesus said, if you don't understand that parable in Mark 4, you won't understand anything about God. So we have to realize that whenever the word of God is being preached, whenever there's anybody that is going forward in God, there's going to be opposition and pushback from the enemy. He will immediately come and try to distract. That's how he takes it out, is to distract. It says, in fact, it says he comes for the word's sake because he knows if he leaves you alone with the spirit of God and the word of God, you will be victorious. And so he comes immediately to try to distract the people of God. And one of the things that, um, that we'll see as we go through this message tonight is that God's working. Whether you believe it or not, God's working. Whether you see it or not, God's working. And whether you know it or not, God's working. God's always working. And if you're willing to get in and step into God's work, God will take you further than you ever dreamed possible. But if you despise the work of God, if you despise the work of God, you'll never go further than you are right now. Amen? How many of you want to stay where you're at in God? All right. Now, let's look at this passage here, and, and, and I'm just going to open this up and, and open this um, in, in, in our um, sermon tonight, and I want you to key in on something, and we're going to go to a couple of different passages about this, but beginning in verse number 12, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12 it says, it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because the ark of God. Why 
was Obed-Edom blessed? Because God's presence was there. Where God's presence is, there's power. Amen? Um, because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. So David wasn't going, ah, man, nobody else is going to go get that ark. I guess I got to. It always falls on me to go do it. Can't count on anybody. He didn't, you know, get weary because of the journey. He went and got the ark with gladness in his heart. Why? Because that's God. He's serving God with a glad heart. And I want you to know tonight that if you'll serve God with a glad heart, it won't matter what you got to go through. If you'll serve God with a glad heart, it won't matter what you got to go through because you'll have joy in your life. Joy is different than happiness. I always remember that. Now, watch what happens next. This is a very interesting passage. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It says in verse number 13, And it was so that when they bare the ark of the Lord, uh, had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. David was acting all priestly. And he danced with all his might. He was a little Pentecostal. <laughs> Amen. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. So there's great joy, there's worship, there's shouting, there's singing, and David is dancing with all his might. Now, you might think, what would that look like if somebody was so overjoyed about God that they began to dance with all their might? Amen? You can't really worry about how foolish you look. You done gone past caring about what everybody thinks. Amen? And this is one of the biggest hurdles that people have in churches is getting past what people think. A lot of times they, you know, I always heard an illustration about, you know, um, it's like it's kind of like correlated with, with football, you know, where you are with God. People do half mass, you know, and, and then they go to the touchdown, right? But then they look and bring their arms back down. But here David is dancing with all his might before God. So you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, he could care less what anybody thinks. Amen? Amen. If you've ever danced before God, you know what that means. And, and, one of the, and you, might, you, you may say, well, I, you know, I'm not, I can't really do that anymore physically. Well, you can do what you can do. You may not be able to do a lot, but you can do what you can do. Amen? You can stick your right foot in and stick your right foot out. Maybe, you know, or your right arm and right arm out. You might be able to do something, but what it does is just tell, tells God that you're overjoyed by his presence in your life. Amen? So many people, they don't, they're, not, they're not ever around God's presence. They're not ever around God's presence to even be overjoyed in the first place. Sometimes we're too uh, preoccupied in our mind by the enemy, worried about what, why is that stain there? Why is the picture crooked? Why is so-and-so wearing this? than to even entertain the thought that God's presence is here. And so one of the things that you see is that David pressed 
past all that, and he begins to dance with all of his might. However, however, verse number 16, and as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michelle, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. What do you got to be so happy about? What, what, what's so good in your life that you got to act like that? Why are you going to act like a fool like that? She despised him. Now, despise is a powerful word, and this is what we're going to key in on tonight. The question that I want to ask you is, are you despising the move of God in your life, or are you joining in with it? It's a pretty powerful concept. Despising the move of God is looking on it in disdain, not willing to join in, not willing to let yourself go where God wants to take you. Despising the move of God in your life is looking at it the way that she did. You look like a fool. You're the king. What are you doing? You have disgraced yourself by dancing before God. And, and, and she goes on, just like a, a, a you know, an iconic nagging wife. She don't let it go. She goes on, and she eggs him on even further later on in this passage. Look what it says in verse number 20. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michelle, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly and covereth himself. Now, she basically just said, you've defiled yourself. In other words, um, you know, a fine, upstanding gentleman should not even crack a smile in church. A fine, upstanding individual should not even act that way. You should always be a different way. Well, um, David has an interesting response. Verse number 21, David said unto her, unto Michelle, it was before the Lord. That's a great response. I'm not doing what I'm doing to impress you. It was before the Lord. There's going to be times in your life whenever you press into God, people are going to look at you sideways. Press on. You do what you do before God. Not before men. If you're doing something for men, you're going to live or die by their praise. But if you're there worshiping God, if your life is an act of worship towards God, it shouldn't matter what people think, what they say, or how they act. One of the things that we've got to do is get past that, and I love his response. He says, it was before the Lord. She said, look at you. Look at you. Don't you have any dignity about yourself? Don't you care what people think about you? I mean, you look like just some, just some undignified person. And he said it was before the Lord. 
it was before the Lord. He was overjoyed by God's presence. Here's a, a personal question for you. When was the last time you got that overjoyed by God's presence? That you were willing to even stick your right foot in and your right foot out, much less dance with all your might. When was the last time you shouted with a voice of triumph? When was the last time you let your voice go like a trumpet, declaring the goodness of God, thanking him for his mercy and his grace? When was the last time we let go and let God? This is a very critical question because the, 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 the presence of God is here today. The move of God is here today. We are the temple of God. Everybody, every blood-bought, born-again believer is the temple of God. We don't have to wait on the next temple to be built. You are the temple of God. You house the presence of God because the Spirit of God dwelleth in the believer. We don't have to wait on the ark of God to come to the city of David. Everywhere we go, every place we, we step, every turn we make, the presence of God is with us. How powerful is it that when we're in the valley, God's there. When we're on the mountaintop, God's there. We don't have to go to a place. We have his presence. We should be even more overjoyed than they were. See, we think in reverse. We're like, well, if I saw the ark of God, I would be overjoyed too. You have something better than the ark of God. Amen. You have what was in the ark of God in you Amen. if you're a believer. Now, whether you press into that, whether you're enjoying the benefits of that, that is between you and the Lord and whether you're allowing the enemy to deceive you and keep you bound up so that you don't get too undignified. Kind of keep yourself handcuffed spiritually so that you don't get too undignified so that people don't think you're too crazy, too Pentecostal. It's okay to be that way in name only, but don't actually worship God like that. It's okay to say you love God, but don't actually show him. It's okay to be thankful, but don't actually press in and declare your thanks. You see, there's a big difference in those things. And, and David's wife, how many of you know of all people, that's probably a pretty good wound. Because that's somebody you want to confide in. That's somebody that knows your worst about you and you think, you know, they look past it. And this person gives the kind of gut punch. Look at you. Look at you. Look what you did. But I love David's response. He said, it was before the Lord, continuing in this verse, which chose me before thy father, before all his house who appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel, therefore... Will I play before the Lord? Verse 22, and I will yet be more vile than thus. And will be base in my mind, in my own sight. And of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. Now I'll stop right there. When David says, I will yet be more vile than this, he's saying, if you think this is bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. 
If you think I'm undignified now, I hadn't even got to the where I can go. You ain't seen nothing. I can get even more vile than this. I, I, I've got more shout in the tank. I've got more worship that I can lavish. I've got more dance in my feet. He, he, there, there's more there. How can David say that? How can David say that? Because just like Jesus said, when you believe on him, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Not river, rivers of living water. This is the spirit of God, how the, the power of God flows. Once you get connected with God and the power of God flows through you, there is no stop. The stop's in you, not in God. We're the one that has too much. We're the one that quits. God will keep going. God will keep going if you'll keep going. And too many people, they never experience a true move of God. They never experience the power of God in their life because, number one, they will not allow themselves to get undignified. If you want to see God move in your life and in your church, you want to see God move in a service, allow yourself to let go and worship. If we, if we sit back, how can we expect any different? If we kick our feet back and relax and put it on cruise control, that's where we'll always stay. But when we press into God and we desire Him and we lavish our praise on Him, God will meet us in that place. God will meet us in that place. However, however, when you step out, how many of you know what I mean by stepping out in praise? Stepping out in your worship, stepping out. You know what I mean. You step out. When you step out, you're going to have somebody look at you with a cross eye. Immediately. You let go, and you let God, and you look to the left, you're going to see somebody cock an eye at you. Oh, that's brother so-and-so. Here he goes. Y'all watch this. Now, one of my, uh, one, one of the churches we were in, we saw there were a couple of songs. A guy would just get absolutely crazy. I mean, he would just let go and he would worship. It was amazing. And a lot of people were just, you know, like, oh my Lord, look at this guy. But we would watch and it was just beautiful. Because this, this guy, just like David, would dance before God. Listen, and nobody else was. He was the only one dancing before God in that whole church. Who do you think God was pleased with? Huh? Who do you think God was pleased with? The ones that sat back and watched him? The ones that made fun of him? Or the one that pressed in and didn't care what people thought? You know what? God's worth pressing in and lavishing praise on. I, you know, one of the things that bothers me is I cannot stand worshiping God with a golf clap. Not that he doesn't deserve a golf clap. He does, but he deserves more than a golf clap. What I mean by a golf clap is where you clap, but there's no sound. If you've ever played golf, just the, the idea of it is the crowd is not supposed to make any noise. Some of you don't know about golf. So I say golf clap, you don't know. But in, in golf, the, the crowd is not supposed to make any noise at all because you could disrupt something. 
See, how, how have we brought the golf crowd into the church when we're supposed to lavish our praise on the Lord? You know, whenever uh, the woman with the alabaster box was worshiping Jesus, do you know that she was despised by others, wasn't she? Well, how much value did she just waste? I mean, we could have used that money and done all kinds of things with that. They were despising her. How many of you know when she was worshiping the Lord, she might not have said a word, but it was not quiet worship. In other words, everybody saw it. Everybody saw it. It was a spectacle. She began to worship the Lord with tears, hair, and an alabaster box. Amen? Well, you know, once you get to that point, you can't stop. She pressed through. You know, just like the woman with the issue of blood, she pressed through the crowd, and she touched the hem of his garment, and God healed her. She didn't heal herself. God healed her. But she had to press through the crowd. She could have quit. And she probably would have died later on that year. Says she had that issue of blood for years and years. No doctor could heal her. But you know what? She wanted God. And she wasn't going to let anybody stop her. And just like this woman with the alabaster box, you know, there was probably a crowd around Jesus. And yet she pressed through. Not allowing people to despise her, she went through. Amen? One of the things I want to share with you, though, about despising is that despising is contagious. Despising is contagious. There's a lot of things that are contagious. You might be contagious. Smiles are contagious. Looks of contempt are contagious too. When, when you smile, you know that it, you, you got a 50-50 shot of getting other people to smile. They either do or they don't. It's 50-50. But more than likely, they will. If you smile at somebody, most of the time, they're going to smile back. But if you look at everybody with this disgusted look on your face, you're probably not going to get a smile back. It's contagious. The d despising means to look on in disdain or contempt. So do you know that there are times in our lives when we can be contagious in a bad way? There's other times we can be contagious in a good way. You get around somebody that loves the Lord, that wants to go deeper in God. You get around other people that press in. It kind of encourages you to press in too. Encourages you to study your Bible. Encourages you to, to lavish your praise on God. But conversely, if, if, every, if, if you got one person doing that in a whole room doing the complete opposite, it's contagious. You got everybody with folded arms and a, and a scowl look on their face. Not, not singing, not worshiping, not opening their Bible, not doing nothing. It's contagious. And in our lives, we need to understand that one of the things that we're called to do as believers is to encourage one another. Now, 
when the when the Lord tells us to encourage one another, how many of you know He's not just saying, you know, tell each tell tell everybody that they're pretty. When he says to encourage one another, he means encourage them in the Lord. Amen. That they can keep on. That God's got them. Amen? That God's good. Encourage them in the Lord. Not just send them a note saying they're pretty, but tell them God's pretty. Keep looking at him. Amen? And so it's contagious. It's contagious. And we need to remember that we're affecting others for good or for bad. For good or for bad? Well, probably the greatest illustration of this is found in the book of, of Numbers. But before we get there, let me show you uh, in Psalm 106 how God describes it. Psalm 106, and then we're going to go back over there. In verse, we're going to start in verse number 21, Psalm 106. Now, what we're, what we're talking about is when God's people, listen closely, God's people kept themselves out of the promised land. No enemy could stop them from going into the promised land except their own self. And they allowed their own self to prevent them from getting in to where God wanted them to be. And I want you to know that God wants you to be somewhere. God wants to take you further than you've ever gone. God is awesome. You've never conquered God. You've never conquered the Bible. God's always doing a new thing. Amen. Look here in verse number 21 of Psalm 106. It says, They forgot God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt. And I believe every person that starts to become contagious in the bad way forgets all the good things that God has done. Just right out of the bat. You know why I think that? Because... Something else has taken the preeminent thought in our lives. Once Israel began to neglect the deliverance that they had in Egypt, they began to think on, we don't have as good a food as we used to. We started thinking on carnal things. We forgot about what God's done in our life in an amazing way. If you're born again tonight, today, whenever, if you're born again, God has done something amazing in your life and that amazing thing that he did by saving you should sustain you. Every day you wake up as a born-again believer should be the greatest day of your life. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what valley you go through, no matter what dark valley you got to go through, no matter what despair you got to walk through, God's with you. God's for you. And God's in you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world is what the Bible says. God loves you. 
And the Bible says that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. In fact, God will always be there for you because you believe on Jesus. Not because you memorized something, not because you sang pretty, not because of anything else, but because you believe on Jesus Christ. God will always be at work in your life. God's presence will be there. You're a born-again believer. God won't leave you. If you're a born-again believer, Ichabod will not be written over your forehead. Come on, that's good. God loves you. But you see, the downward, the bad side of contagious started when they forgot what God did in their life. And if you want to get going in the right direction, just say, God, remind me how good you are. I'm sorry that I'm hard-headed. I'm sorry I've got a thick skull. I'm sorry my heart's grown hard. The, 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 the walk, the road that I've been traveling on, God, it's been hard and heavy, and I'm sorry. Lord, remind me how precious and good you are. You didn't have to save me, but you did. You didn't have to have mercy on me, but you did. You didn't have to forgive me of my sins and give me eternal life, but you did. God, remind me of this. And God will. God will. But when we're going in the wrong direction, the first step is we forget this. Amen? This is the first step of a cold heart, by the way. This is another sermon. You may get it next week. But the first step of a cold heart is this, is just forgetting how good God is. When everybody's singing amazing grace, we're twiddling our thumbs. But if we remember how good God is, we say, yes, God's grace is amazing because I don't deserve it, but he gave it and he abides in me. Amen. Verse number 22. It says, They forgot God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. You know, that's where their deliverance came from, right? Terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach. That's intercession, by the way. To turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. So what happened? They forgot about what God did. And God was about to destroy them. And Moses, acting as, you know, that Jesus is our intercessor. Uh, look, we're all called to the, to the ministry of intercession. Some are gifted in intercession, but Jesus is the intercessor. Amen? Jesus is interceding for you and for me. Amen? And so Moses stands in the breach or stands in the gap. He says, God, have mercy on them. Have mercy on them, God. So God, okay, I'm going to have a little bit of mercy. Watch, watch this. Lest he should destroy them. Verse number 24. Yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word, 
but murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. Therefore, he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness. And we're going to stop right there. So what happened? They despised the pleasant land. Despised it. Meaning, it got contagious. They saw, the, they saw the promised land. They saw where God wanted to take them to, but they weren't willing. They weren't willing to go where God was leading them. That means that they despised what God was doing. They despised it because they would rather be comfortable and not press in. How many of you know sometimes, you know, God may tell you to do something. It may cost you. Sometimes it'll cost you your reputation among men, not among God. Sometimes it may cost you your reputation among men. You go share the gospel with somebody at the gas station or street corner. Go pray with somebody at the hospital. People may make fun of you. You go to Thanksgiving dinner. Share the gospel with people at Thanksgiving dinner. That you know, you know, it may cost you some reputation with men, but not with God. Who would you rather have esteem you high? Men or God? We would rather have the esteem of God, not men. Yet, they despised God's promised land. Do we? What what does God want to do through you? You know, God may raise you up to be an evangelist. God may raise you up to be... A teacher, God may raise you up in the gift of of ministry, of caring for other people. God may raise you up to be a comfort to those that are afflicted and downtrodden. But if we never step in that river, we'll never know. If we're unwilling to go into the promised land, we'll never know what's on the other side. In other words, if if we want to stay comfortable and where we're at... We're despising where God wants to take us. God wants to use us. Our Christian life does not consist of just going to services. Christian life consists of obeying God and allowing him to use us. Jesus describes it as putting your hand to the plow. What does that mean? Well, we don't really realize what that means anymore, but that means work. That means work. He said that the field is ripe. It's ready for the harvest. But where's the laborers? Where's the laborers? We'd we'd rather, you know, just sit around. We'd rather watch the clock than watch God work. See, God wants to use us. Our our plowing, our kingdom work. Now look, not everybody's Billy Graham. There's only one. Not everybody's D.L. Moody. There's only one. And not everybody's you. There's only one of you. But are we fully giving ourselves to God's work? Amen? I think so many times about a story I heard about a, a tract writer. His church was going out door knocking. You know, kind of like we're getting geared up for this outreach ministry this summer. Three weeks away. Get geared up for that, and you know what? This person physically could not go. 
physically could not walk, physically couldn't do it, but they had a fire in them. And you know what they did? They wrote down what they would have said to the person. And it spread like wildfire. Spread like wildfire. I don't know that he was the first track rider ever. I don't know that part of the story. But I know that that one individual, just because he was willing to write down what he would have said because he couldn't physically go, has over one million tracks in the world out there. Well, may not be able to physically do something, but what can we do for God? So we're not talking about everybody physically plowing, but, but actually engaging in ministry somehow, some way. Well, I want to pick this passage up back over in Numbers. Uh, like I told you, uh, we're going to pick it up in Numbers chapter number 14. So Numbers chapter number 14 is where we're going to go. Now, watch what happens here. We're just going to pick up this same, this same passage in, in this part, and then we're going to pick it up in another part. In verse number 28, so Numbers chapter number 14, verse number 28. This is what the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron. Say unto them, as truly as I live, says the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Listen to this judgment. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number, from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swore to make you dwell therein, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, which you said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. In other words, you despised the land. It got God's attention and not in a good way. God had made available for them the promised land. Now, the promised land was inhabited, but it was still theirs because God promised it to them. Amen? And the, the work that God wants to do in our lives, God wants to bring his peace and his presence and his power in your life. There's going to be enemy. There's going to be distraction. There's going to be, you know, detours. But yet, God's presence and power and peace is available for those that will believe his Promise. If you'll believe his promise, his presence, his power, and his peace will be available for you. And yet, many of us will not believe that promise. Many of us will not believe that promise. And so, what God said was, you know what? You're not going to be able to go. When he said those 20 and, and over are going to die in the wilderness, your carcasses, what he said. He's saying their children are going to enter in. Not them, except for two, Joshua and Caleb. Now, most of you know why Joshua and Caleb were selected. It wasn't because they had a great last name. It wasn't because they had great looks. 
It wasn't because they were the best singers. It was because they believed. They believed. And let's look at that part. Just go back one chapter into chapter number 13 real quick. We're going to start in verse number 30. Now, what, it, it, what happened? What happened? Okay. We're, I'm getting into this thing about contagiousness. Okay. So what happened? Well, God told Israel, I'm going to take you out of Egypt, going to deliver you from Pharaoh, and I'm going to give you the promised land, the land that I swore to Abraham. I'm going to give it to you. And instead of just going where God led, they said, well, you know what? Let's just send 12 spies. Instead of doing what they were supposed to do, they just decided, let's just stick our toe out there. Let's just do 10 spies and see what's out there. And so they came up with this plan, and God said, okay, go. They sent 12 spies. The 12 spies go to the promised land, and they see giants. Some real giants, some not. But they looked as grasshoppers, right, in the sight. And one of the things that I want you to see is that of the 12 spies, 10 of them said, we can't do it. Even though God said we can do it, we can't do it. How many of you have ever faced an obstacle? How many of you have ever felt like you can't continue on? How many of you have ever, ever felt like that? But God said that he'd be with you. God said he'd never leave you or forsake you, right? You can continue on because he's with you. He won't leave you. He loves you. He abides in you. You can continue on because of him, not because of you. When you rely on his strength, when you cling to his promise, and when you trust his hand, you can continue on. Amen? But if you begin to look to yourself and you begin to look at how your life is going, you will get weary. So I want to encourage you, always remember, weariness comes from looking at how things are going in my life. Strength comes from looking unto God. Strength comes from looking unto God. And every single one of us will get weary or will get strengthened. And don't feel bad if you've been weary lately. All of us do. All of us. Because we're human, we fail God. Because we're human, we fail God. But you don't have to stay weary. God can strengthen you in your weary place if you'll put your eyes on him and remember his promise. Remember his love. Amen? So... Back into the story in Numbers chapter uh, 13, we're going to pick it up in verse number 30, but what I wanted to share with you was that there's those 12 spies, and here you get their report. When they're coming back in verse number 30, you're going to get their report right here and hear from them what they say and then what everybody else says. I want you to see something pretty important. So verse number 30, it says, Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once. And possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb said, hey, God gave it to us. Let's go get it. Amen? How many of you, are, how many of you feel like you're spiritually anemic tonight? 
But God has given you his self. It's available for you. You you can't buy it, and you don't have to do anything for it. You just have to possess it by faith. That's it. It's available for you. Listen, it's available for you by grace. By grace, it's available for you. And if you remember this morning, where do you find grace at, guys? Church, the only only place, there is only one and only place you and I have access to God's grace, and it is at Calvary. It is at the cross. It is in the work of Jesus Christ. When we rest there and we put our faith there, God's grace is made available. We have access to God right there. It's Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. So one of the things I want you to see here in verse 30 is that Caleb tried to steal everybody and said, guys, we can do it. We can possess it. God gave it to us. We can get it. Verse 31, but the men that went up with him, that's the other 10, said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Well, you know what? God never told them who was stronger than who. How many of you know it's not about the strength of the other people? It's not about how big the battle is. It's about how big your God is. It's not about how big the mountain is in your life. It's not about how dark the darkness is in your life. God's bigger, God's brighter, and God's with you. God's with you. And so these ten spies, they forgot that. They forgot it. Now, I want to point something out to you. Two Spies, Joshua and Caleb, believed. Ten did not. Did the people that trusted God, did, were they contagious or were the people that despised God contagious? When somebody despises God, it's awfully contagious. It's awfully contagious. And what happened was the whole nation of Israel, save two, were affected by disbelief, by disillusionment, despair, and despising God. It, it affects us. And I want you to know tonight that if you have neglected God's promise for your life, hey, Grace is available for you. If you'll take that trip to Calvary and say, God, I'm sorry. You know, whenever you believe on Jesus, and, and look, I'm, don't misunderstand me. Every day you should be going to Calvary. That's where Christians live. I love what D.L. Moody said about the wrath of God. He said, the, the, that Calvary is like a burn-off. We don't really realize that in our day, but back in his day, there wasn't a fire department. And whenever a fire would spread throughout, you know, the prairies and the fields, everybody would be worried, is it going to come and consume my field? Because that's how we fed our families. 
And so what they would do is they would burn off around their crops and around their home. They would burn a section. And whenever that wildfire would come, it would pass over where that burn off was. And what D.L. Moody said was, those that stay in Calvary stay in the burn off from God's wrath. How powerful is that? That's where we stay as believers. We don't graduate from Calvary. That's where we live. That's where we find God. That's where we access the throne. That's where his favor is poured out on us. Why? Because of us? No, because we're trusting in what he did. See, the the gospel is not about you getting something and then giving something to God. It's about you receiving everything by believing on Jesus. Jesus is your and my access to God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. It's through Calvary. You're not, we're not going to receive anything from God if we're not living in Calvary. That's where it is. And so one of the things I wanted to show you, though, is that despair and, and despising is contagious. The question I wanted to pose to you is, and what I said to you earlier was, are we despising God's work or are we joining to it? See, The ten spies despised God's work. Joshua and Caleb joined themselves to it. Although nobody else went in, Joshua and Caleb did. And I want you to know that you can be like David. And even though everybody else may be despising you and nobody else may be joining in you in your worship and your pursuit of God, if you'll press in anyways, you'll go in. Whether everybody else goes in or not, don't know. If they want to despise God, keep their arms folded, golf clap God, not pursue God, not study his word, not get any deeper with God, not lavish their praise on God, that's between them and God. But like David said, I can get even more vile than this. You you, you think this is crazy? Just watch. Because it's ratcheting up, brother. It's ratcheting up. If, if you've ever been in that place where God's moving in your life, it's, it's more than we can contain. It's more than words can describe. It's a joy that is inexpressible. It, 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 is, it is amazing grace. Amazing grace. It's not just a song. It's not just a song. It's a place God wants you to live in. It's a place God wants to take you to. So that we're not always looking at the why not. We're not always looking at the it's bad, it's dark, it's destroying. We're not always looking at the downside, but our eyes are on the Lord. That's why David said that you look unto the hills, look unto the hills where salvation comes. That's where our Redeemer comes from. Get our eyes lifted up to the Lord and trust Him. And the Bible says in Habakkuk, he will cause us 
to walk on our high places. High place is something that keeps defeating you. And if you'll keep your eyes on Jesus, he will cause you to walk on your high places. In closing tonight, what is the high place in your life? What is that high place? What is that thing that keeps coming against you? What is that thing that keeps tripping you up? I want you to know no matter how big it is, no matter how deafening it is, no matter how destructive it is, if we keep our eyes on the Lord, He will cause us to walk on our high places. It's in Habakkuk chapter 3. Well, in thinking on this message, you and I both play a role in either encouraging others or discouraging others. It, in other words, it's not just about us. It's about them. Sometimes you may not feel like doing something but sometimes you need to do it anyways because you might be an encouragement to others. I'm not saying be fake, but I'm saying live by faith. There's a difference in being fake and living by faith. Amen? And sometimes we were, you know, in our nursing home outreach this morning, Brother Jerry brought up a good point. He said sometimes you got to praise through the storm. Sometimes we may not feel like praising. But if we'll get in and praise anyways, we'll get to that place where we're glad that we did. Where we're glad that we did. And God, you know, he's no respecter of persons. He'll do that for anybody. Do you despise what God is doing or will you enter in? Could your not entering in become contagious and discourage others from not entering in? Maybe you don't like a worship song. Maybe you don't like the temperature. Maybe you don't like the colors. Maybe you don't like the singers. Maybe you don't like this. Maybe you don't like that. Could your not pressing in cause others to not press in? Could... could the scowl on our faces cause others to become discouraged. But conversely, could our pressing in affect others? Could our smile affect others? Could our encouragement lift up others? Amen? And, and we all make those choices. What kind of believer are we going to be? Are we going to be the one that we lift others up? Or are we going to be that one believer that everybody avoids because they don't want to catch what we got? You know, sometimes when you're a ball of fire for God, some, some crazy people like y'all, you know, you want to get around those people because you want it to rub off on you. But then there's other people, you know, they, they don't really press into God. They don't really care about God. They golf clap through it. They got the scowl. And you don't want to catch that. Well, which one are we? Could our not pressing in actually discourage others? Yes, yes, you plainly see it here in Numbers chapter 13. The ten spies and the two spies. We're contagious one way or the other. One last thing I'll leave you with. 
and we won't we won't go into it, but how many of you remember the story of the prodigal son? Powerful passage. The thing about the prodigal son is he had a brother, right? He wasn't the only child. He had a brother. And when God began to move in a powerful way in that prodigal's life, the elder brother despised what God was doing. You know what? There was a party going on. There was a celebration taking place. And everybody was having a great time, except for one. Except for one, the elder brother. It's called the elder brother syndrome. You see, a lot of times in churches when people come in and God moves miraculously in their life, the elder brother syndrome will kick in and everybody will say, I just wait, they'll burn out. Or why are they getting all happy about them? You see, he despised what God was doing and he didn't allow himself to get in that place of celebration to experience what God was doing. And it was contagious because the father, you can see the heart of the father, the father stopped the celebration and went out to where the elder brother was. And I want you to know tonight, in that scenario, we always think about the father waiting on the prodigal. But I want to leave you with this. The father also went out there to the one that was despising the prodigal. The father did two things in that passage. One, he waited on the prodigal to come home, restored to him, right, what he had. But then when the elder brother was despising and not celebrating with everybody else, the father stopped what he was doing and went to him. And I want you to know tonight that the, whichever one you are, the father will come to you if you'll receive him. Amen. Father, we thank you for your mercy tonight, and we thank you, Father, for your presence.